Well, I'm excited this morning. We have a young man with us that I love more than you'll ever know. And I know he's become a wonderful, wonderful blessing to this church, his parents. Of course, for those that are new here, you may not know uh, John Schrock and his parents, Carl and Bev. And uh, Carl helped take a risk on a young pastor. When I went to pastor my first church, he was on the board. How many of you give a hand to a man of God who knew a good thing when he saw it? Amen. (laughs) He didn't know what he was getting into. I got to tell you this, and of course, Bev became our secretary there in Parsonville, and uh, these two kept the young preacher out of a lot of trouble, and uh, they've been a blessing to me for a long, long time. I'm so glad you're here this morning, and John, Pastor John, by the way, is a man of God, and uh, he's been here to preach many times. It's been a while that he's been able to speak on a Sunday morning. Uh, John, when we first started at that church, was a teenager, and now he is an ordained minister. Many of you may say, well, is he still being a pastor? He is. He's still shepherding people. He wound up a few years. How many years ago was this now, John? Eight years ago. What month? In September. Eight years in September. John walked into the parsonage of the church that he was pastoring and uh, wound up with transverse myelitis. And went from walking to being paralyzed from the, from the neck down. Um, and I've got to tell you, he is not stopped ministering since that has happened. And I'm so proud of this young man. He spent the entire week at uh, our general council in Orlando, and uh, he is busy at work. I get to talk with John uh, every week, usually on a Monday or a Thursday. We talk together for about an hour every week. And he's been busy writing and ministering, writing a blog. He can let you know all about that. But he has been writing this wonderful book called Holiness Matters, A Call to Obey the Holy Spirit. And uh, it is a good book. You've been reading it, haven't you? I've gotten to read it. He's been, been writing this now for over a year. It's in print. He's going to preach a message this morning based on this book that he wrote. I'm actually going to be doing a series on this book in the coming uh, months after we get through Daniel. So those of you who know how long my series go, we'll get to this in a little while. But uh, we're going to, to study. But we I talked with some of the board before we came into church this morning. And, and John, there's 50 books out there. The church has bought all 50 books. We're going to write you a full check for the amount of that. Send it home. We want everyone to get one of these into your hands and have one of these books. I believe that much in it, not just John's ministry, but what he has put in here is absolutely essential in the day that we live in. So Bev, if you would... Uh, We'll try, get this young man on up here. Come on, John, run into the pulpit. Do whatever you're going to do with that thing. Get you all set up to preach the word. How many became ready for a good word from the Lord this morning? I know that you will be blessed. Again, we have known each other. John is not just someone that I had the privilege of pastoring. He has become a wonderful friend. He is probably one of the smartest people I know. I promise you he is way smarter than I am. He is a scholar. If John wanted to, he could probably go. He has a master's degree. He could be on staff at one of our Bible colleges. Um, But he is ministering in churches and writing books. And we're trusting God for amazing things this morning. You ready to preach, Pastor? Yeah? Okay, let's get you going. shorter than that before you got in the chair. 
I was. I'm still that short. Is that good? Yes, that's Can great. Can well? you hear me? All right. Good. Too bad Verizon doesn't do those commercials anymore. They were great. So, sorry about the uh, iPad in front of my face, but without it, uh, the word would not be as good. So, we'll uh, keep that there. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Marvin for letting me come and speak this morning. It's a tremendous blessing to be with you in person and not be watching on Facebook, which is what I usually do. So, it's wonderful to be here and see all of you and get to greet all of you. And uh, so I want to move into the message this morning. Uh, Mom, go ahead and hit that button. So I'm not here for three hours because I know you would enjoy it, but you would probably all leave. So let's keep going here. I had a friend in Bible college, and he was so excited. He ran into my dorm room, and he said, you got to check this out. And he pulled up his sleeve, and he showed me his brand new tattoo. And I was like, wow, that's really nice. Said, uh, so what's it say? Because it was written in Hebrew. Now, I know Hebrew, and my professors know Hebrew. He does not know Hebrew. And he said, listen, he said, he said this is something that every time I show to somebody, they're going to ask me what it's about, and I'm going to witness about Jesus testifying, you know, about what he's done in my life and how he's changed my life. Now, up on the screen, there's two Hebrew words. The top one says Hallel. Now, Hallel means praise. Now, the next one below it, and you'll notice a subtle difference. On that third letter, letter one of them has a little space in between on the top. The bottom one doesn't. The bottom one is pronounced Hallel, it means defile. So he had written on his arm. I looked at him, I said, I said, why in the world do you think writing defile the Lord all around your arm would lead to witnessing about Jesus? And he said, no, 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 it says praise the Lord. I said, I know Hebrew. It says defile the Lord. And I'll tell you what, I was thinking the other day, you know, I would follow that man into a thunderstorm of, you know, biblical proportions, knowing that if lightning were to strike, it would hit him before it hit me. <laughs> I was so happy that when we live for God, when we live a holy life, we do not have to do it on our own. Because even the smallest error could mean grave consequences if we do it on our own. This is why we obey the Holy Spirit. This is why we follow the Holy Spirit. He knows the path to holiness, and we follow him instead of doing it on our own. So I want to talk about holiness today, and I want to describe it in three different facets, three different ways or meanings of holiness that we see throughout Scripture. If you turn your Bibles today, it'll also be on the screens. First Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, it opens by telling us to do something. And so it says, as obedient children, 
do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, and this is a quote from Leviticus, you shall be holy because I, well, sorry, for I am holy. Now, I want to look deeper into these three different ways because you'll say, well, what is holiness? And if you ask 10 different Christians, you'll get 13 different answers because some of them might have two or three just to cover themselves make sure that we, we get this right. So we want to look at three ways the Bible shows us what holiness is. Now the first one is to be separate from the world. To be separate from the world. That's the first facet. And now I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of page turning today, but not too much, just one for every point. But 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, it says to us this, and this is one of the most important ones. It says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? By the way, all those expect a none answer. Okay, how can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are, and this is an important one, the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them. Give me one second. Go down, Mom. Go down a lot. Yep. Sorry, we lost our place. I was just getting to preach, too. I'm just kidding. Okay, so therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Let me tell you something. That is a serious charge. And if we don't take it seriously, then we are really going to miss out on all the promises that followed. It sounds very, very harsh, doesn't it? But if we don't do that, if we don't come out from among them, then we will not experience, I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will be their father, and they will be my sons and daughters. Those are the promises that have to come only after we do what the Lord says. If the Lord says that we can do something, then we can do it. It's not a matter for theologians and scholars to debate for eternity. 
it's something for us to do right now. Right. now there, there's no word in that sentence that I look at and I go, hmm, let me have to look up the definition of that. Come out. Let me have to look up. What does it mean to come out? From among, you know, there's nothing there where God minces his words. So, so how, do we, how do we do that? Well, first of all, God is our example. So we first look at him. And God is separate from his creation. The first facet of holiness calls us to imitate God in his character. Just as he is holy, separate from creation, so we will see we will be separate from the world. So he is worthy of our worship, if for nothing else, because he is greater than creation. He's above creation. That's what separate means. It doesn't mean he's like over here and creation is over there. It means he's separate from it. He's above it. He's greater than it. And because he is greater and separate from his creation, we also demonstrate that separateness. All right. Um, keep going. Here you go. We must not mistake his interaction with us and this world as if he fits into this world. So if you're taking notes, write this one down. God looks down at us to receive our worship. We look up to him to see his infinite greatness. So he is way above us. And we need to remember that. The New Testament refers to Jesus as emptying himself, as the darkness has not overcome the light. This is the way that it talks about God among us. It doesn't talk about him as an equal or us as equals with him. That is how he is separate. So uh, keep going here. I told her to complete this on time. I'd have to skip a few things. But they're all good. And they'll all be in my notes whenever I make them available online. But it says, uh, we can barely understand his holiness. He could do nothing for us and be completely justified. You know, that's something that Romans points out. And I was uh, doing Romans with some friends, studying for our final in Bible college. And I told them, I said, do you realize that Romans tells us that God could do nothing for us sinful human beings and let us go to hell and just leave it at that? And he'd still be justified because we're sinners and that's what we deserve. But no, instead, he decided to come down and change us from the inside out. That's what holiness is all about. It doesn't stop at God being holy. It stops at his grace and his love. Those things are what move the heart of God, not his own holiness. He can be separate from his creation, but he decides to come and interact with us. So how do we do this? Well, the second thing we do is we are separate from the world. So they say that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. But 
One of the ways we worship God is by emulating his character in holiness. So, my page turner is probably reading these ahead of me. She's a little bit ahead, that's okay. Just as God is separate from his creation, we are separate from the world. We don't join in its wickedness. We seek to please God by living his way. So write this one down too. We live, this, this has become sort of a life motto for me. We live for the praise and pleasure of the audience of one. That one is Jesus, just to clarify. So the little bit of poetry that's there is talking about Jesus. We live to praise and please him. If it doesn't please him, stop doing it. Because it's not going to get you any closer to him. It's not going to get you closer to your goal of being holy. So you need to stop whatever you look at. If, if anything, if the Holy Spirit convicts you, or even if he goes, hmm, there's your cue. Yeah. Right. So, Jesus calls us to be salt and light in his uh, kingdom and in this world. Okay, that's from Matthew 5, 13 through 16. So, why does Jesus use those? Salt and light. Well, I'm sure Pastor Marvin has told you all about this. But salt acts as a preservative and a seasoning. Uh, we use it, okay, so, one of the things I hate is canned vegetables. They just don't taste right to me. Honestly, they taste so bland and but you know what they use to make those last? Salt. Salt is a preservative. They put it in meat. Oh, I love meat. And they put it in meat to preserve it. You are salt on this earth. You preserve God's righteousness here. You show people the way to Jesus. You season your conversations with God's grace and truth. People see a godly perspective from you. Now it's hard for us to get those right. Grace and truth. There's a lot of Christians out there who do the truth thing really, really, really well, right? They're the ones that stand on the street corners with a bullhorn. You're all going to hell because you're all sinners. And God hates sinners. Are they wrong? No. Could they do it better? Absolutely, and please do, because we also need to be grace. We need to have the grace of Jesus and the tact to present his truth in his way. Because Jesus loves these people. He loves sinners because they can become so much more. And we need to love them as well with grace, but truth. It is not loving to tell them, You'll be okay. They're not going to be okay. Not unless they know Jesus. So we need to do both. Grace and truth. That's as salt. But we are also light. What does light do? Did you know that without light, you would not be able to see anything? Just turn off the lights and find out what happens. You'll be just as blind as me. 
you'll run into things. It'll be bad. Light provides revelation and exposure. You are a witness and ambassador of Christ. By the way, we haven't stopped talking about holiness here. These are your holy acts as one of his ambassadors. You reveal him as Savior and Lord. You expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. Now that doesn't mean you can go, oh, that's bad, and walk away. That means that you say, that's not right because God said it's not right. Not by my standard, not by some other standard. It's God's standard, it's not right. If you don't speak, you become complicit. That's holiness. Holiness isn't easy. By the way, if you thought it was easy, you came to the wrong service. You come next week? No, I'm just kidding. It won't be easy then when pastors talk about something. We expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. Every sinful act that opposes God. I don't know if you know this. There's this wonderful man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he lived in Germany during the time that Hitler reigned. And unlike the German National Church, he looked at what Hitler was doing. And he decided to do his very best to assassinate Hitler because of what he was doing. And he got caught, and he got killed for it. But he did not sit back and say, oh, that's not right. But I'm not sticking my neck out. That's not what he did. He stepped up, and he did what he thought was right. We need to be a people who see darkness for what it is and don't hide behind the light. We use it to expose. A separate people lives by and demonstrates godly perspectives, values, worldview, and principles. We live them out as we walk before others. So, most people know that I'm a Christian. It's whenever they find out that I'm a minister that they start walking on eggshells. Oh man, that's a man of God. He's close to God. Better watch myself. I don't know why the Christian part didn't get him, but the man of God thing does. That's the part that they go, oh. It should be the Christian part, by the way. Now, I'm not a pushy guy. I don't push my views on others. It's not like I walked in the room, looked at him and said, you're a sinner. I don't do that. But they notice something in me. The world should see a difference in us. If they don't, we're not doing it right. We're not doing it right. They see a difference in me. And I tell them whenever they see it, you probably won't offend me, but you might offend Jesus. And I assure you that's much worse. You do yourself and Jesus no good if you live like the world. Why would they become Christians if they don't see a difference in us? It's the same thing. So come out from among them and live a different life. Live different than the world. That's to be separate from the world. We don't look down on people. 
we live like Jesus among them. Right. Jesus never looked down on anybody. Right. He told them to stop sinning and live for God. Right. So second, let's be pure before God. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 7.1. It actually comes right after what we read for being separate. And it says this, it says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. We fear God. So a second facet of holiness comes through purity toward the Lord. We show purity by not mixing worldly values with godly values. Okay, that's the one where you don't say like, like, I like the way that the world lives here, but I have to do what God wants me to do here. Wrong attitude. I get to do what God has shown me to do that pleases him. And I don't have to do what I used to know. So here's how we'll break this down. I, I think when I was writing this book and doing the research, the research started in 2017. I've been looking at holiness for four years, and these are my observations. Old Testament saints observed clean and unclean laws. Right? Remember all those weird laws in the Old Testament, like you shall not mix two fabrics. Tell me a place where I can buy fabrics that are not mixed. Polyester. Two fabrics. Maybe more, I don't know. But at least two. I cannot find a place to follow Old Testament laws anymore. At least not that this, uh, you know, bachelor knows of. Maybe you ladies know of places where you could do that, but I can't. What about the ones that say things like, you should not mix your meats with your dairy? Let me tell you something. I love a beautiful cheeseburger. Oh, God is good. Right? Amen. So, hey, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. So, but what does that mean? Well, the world around the Israelites, the nations around Israel, they did not observe such laws. They did whatever they wanted. They didn't care. Why did God put these laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy? He did it to show the difference between life and death, clean and unclean. So every time you see clean and unclean laws in the Old Testament, for the most part, there are a few examples that don't line up with this. But th see, clean as leading to life and unclean as leading to death. The unclean things bring death. The clean things bring life. And this is what God was trying to show the Israelites. To be pure means you don't mix the ways of life with the ways of death. So now let's go to the New Testament. New Testament saints practice clean living. Why do we practice clean living? Not so that we don't get dirty. 
so that we experience the life Jesus has to offer. Every time that you go into sin, what does the Bible teach us sin leads to? Death. Death is unclean. Do you read those old clean, unclean laws? Every single thing in there leads to death. All of it. Leprosy, sickness, death, you know, dead things, blood that's outside of the, all of that stuff leads to death. You know, blood outside the body cannot give you life. Only blood inside the body. So those things are leading to death. When we follow the ways of Satan, when we sin against God, it's not just that it offends him. It's not just that it hurts his heart. It's that it leads to death. And in so we die, not just now, but forever, whenever we follow those ways. Instead, we follow the paths of righteousness because they lead to life and eternal life. That is the difference. And it's one of the things I asked the Lord one day because I was looking at these laws for purity. And I said, Lord, why are some animals clean and some animals unclean? When in the New Testament, you get to Peter and you give him this vision and you say, everything's clean that I haven't made. I don't make junk. By the way, that's true of us too. He doesn't make junk. He doesn't make unclean things. So why are there unclean animals and foods and all this stuff in the Old Testament? And the Lord showed me this. Some lead to life and some lead to death. It's one of the greatest things I learned as I studied holiness. And so when I was at Shillington, the, the church that I was at, when the devil tried to kill me, didn't take by the way, I'm still here. Amen. And... And check this out to boot. I was preaching this series on holiness at my church when this happened to me. He tried to shut up the message of holiness. Guess what I'm preaching today? That's right. That's right. But when I was there, I filled a a, a five-gallon drum with about a third of water. And then I took about a half of a, a bottle of motor oil, put it on top, covered up with the lid, and I shook it up. I shook it, I shook it, and I shook it. And then I set it down, and the, all the oil settled at the top. I went, hmm. And I shook it again and shook it again. All the oil settled at the top. That is the perfect definition of purity. The oil would not mix with the water. Our godly values do not mix with the world. They don't fit. The world doesn't understand. The world is passing away. We have eternal life. Why would we give that up? By saying, "Hmm, I think sin will be fun for a day. What will be fun for a day will not be fun for eternity. You can't live like a saint on Sunday and a sinner Monday through Saturday. It don't work. It doesn't lead to life, and it doesn't lead to eternal life. You may say, but but I'm a child of God. I went to the altar, and I accepted Jesus. 
But if you don't live like Jesus, he will reject you in the end. Now, it takes a long time, but he will get there. I can assure you, the Israelites did not spend 70 years in exile from the land of Israel because they decided, well, a little bit of idolatry will be okay. Guess what? It wasn't. It wasn't. And while God bring them back after 70 years, they still spent those 70 years in exile because they did not listen to the word of the Lord. And he told them they wouldn't. And they still thought themselves better than the world around them. And yet they were doing what the world was doing. We must be pure before the Lord, not just for a day, but for seven, and then another seven, and then months and years. And we can do it because he has told us to do it. God does not give us a command we cannot follow. There is a final facet of holiness, and that is to reject worldliness. Now you may say, but, but Pastor John, that's purity. Purity is part of it. But there's more to it. See, what I found as a pastor is that people do really well with one part of what James is about to tell us in James 4, 7, and 8. But they don't do well with the other part. So let's read it. I have it from the NLT today. It says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come closer to God. Sorry, come close to God. I would say closer. And God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Now, notice, this is James. Who is he speaking to? His church. And he calls them sinners and double-minded because they have decided to do a little bit of what the world does and do a little bit of what God tells them to do and as it not working. So let's talk about the one we usually do really well with, resist the devil. So I'll talk about the first part first. Too many Christians pay more attention to resisting the devil than to the devil fleeing from them. Remember what he says. Resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. That is... Okay. Resisting Satan, temptation, and sin without realizing the power of God that makes them flee is the reason why many Christians today spend more time working on this side of the equation. They struggle daily with temptation. Why? Because they do not realize the power and authority that God has placed in them to have these defeated once and for all. Am I saying that you will never deal with the flesh or with temptation again? No. But I'm saying you will know the power of God within you, the authority over those things. And you won't give them a second look. You'll say, huh, really? 
you're coming again. You know, one of the illustrations I used in the book, um, and this is not about a book, this is about the Word of God and the power God gives us to live holy lives for Him. And the realization that we should have as Christians to be able to live those holy lives, to answer that call to be holy as I am holy. But one of the illustrations I give is when a, a hunter hunts a deer in the woods, and I know your deer down here are different than ours. Ours are bigger and a little bit scarier than yours. But when a hunter, they taste great. Anyway, when a hunter goes and shoots a deer, walks up to the deer, it doesn't look at him and go, missed me, get up and walk away. The thing's dead. When he pokes it, it doesn't move. When temptation pokes you, you don't move to its desires. You do what God tells you to do. See, earlier in James 4, James explained we cannot ride the fence between worldliness and godliness. And he puts, I love how he does it, relational terms. He said you're either a friend of God or a friend of the world. You can't be both. You can't ride the fence. You can't pick and choose and say, well, it's like a buffet. I pick this and I pick that and I pick the other thing. They have nothing to do with each other. Listen, when I go to a buffet, I get a little bit of Italian. I get a little bit of Mexican. I, I get a little bit of everything. The world and godly values do not work that way. You must choose and continue to choose every day. Every day we either glorify God by our actions and what we say or we don't. It's not a, I did, you know, 90% glorifying God today, and that other 10%, boy, I really messed that up. You know, it's always 100%. When we choose to think that way, we will find ourselves on the path to holiness. Now, in Bible college, I knew I would be a pastor. In fact, I have known I would be a pastor since I was seven years old. That's when God called me to be a pastor. And when I was in Bible college, I wanted to whip this whole battle with sin for good. Because I thought, if I mess up a church with my sin, how terrible would that be? So I thought about Swaggart and Baker, the men who really ruined evangelism in the 80s for the Assemblies of God. And I thought if I did something like that, it would destroy the church. And of course, it wouldn't be good for me either, but it would destroy the church. And so I was convinced that if I won the battle over sin once for all, I would be the best pastor ever. I had a friend come up to me and say, do you love Jesus as much as you hate sin? Stop me in my tracks. So I got to ask you today, it's up on the screen. 
Do you love Jesus as much as you hate sin? And I would say more, more, because we do so well at resisting the devil, don't we? We do so well at fighting those battles over and over and over again. We, we lose them in ourselves. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to win that battle. But there's something even greater that James says, and it's the other side of holiness. We need to do both. But when's the last time that you submitted to God? When's the last time that you not only resisted the devil, but submitted to God? I can tell you, and I even struggle to answer sometimes, how do you know how to draw close to God? What are the steps? I've asked Christians that, and they've looked at me with a blank stare like, read my Bible and pray every day. I said, welcome to Sunday school, but this isn't Sunday school. This is real life. How do you draw close to God? If you cannot answer that question, then you're doing well in one part, but not well in another part. And holiness requires both. We must know how to draw close to God just as well as we have prepared ourselves for the battles that temptation brings. You cannot have one without the other. So I'm going to give you a head start today. How do you draw close to God and resist the devil? I would concentrate on the drawing close to God part. You see, Peter got out of the boat, walked on water as long as he looked at Jesus. But the moment he looked at the storms around him, the clouds and the lightning and the thunder, the moment that he saw that, he had to take his eyes off of Jesus. And what happened? He began to drown, began to sink. So the way that we draw close to God is by focusing on Jesus. Many of you remember the old chorus, the world behind me, the cross before Right? And that ended how? No turning back. No turning back. I submit to you that we can only look at one thing at one time. And as long as we look at Jesus and not the world, temptation will have no hold on us. By looking at Jesus, we will also be resisting the devil. So don't focus so much on resisting the devil that you forget to submit to God. So we must humble ourselves before the Lord. When we humbly submit ourselves to the Lord, we open the floodgates of his grace on our lives. So let's focus on Jesus more than the world. Let's put our energy into being friends of God. We want to experience the power of knowing God, being immersed in his spirit, and walking with him through the storms of life. So as uh, somebody comes to play behind me, I want to ask you to stand, to bow your heads, and close your eyes. 
Jesus is calling you to be holy as he is holy. If he commands it, it is possible. He expects it of you. Pursue holiness with all of your heart. Come out from among the wicked things in your world. Follow Jesus. Separate yourself from the things that don't glorify Jesus. Fully commit yourself to knowing him alone. Don't mix worldly things with godly things. No one can have it both ways. Stop riding the fence. This world is passing away. Only Jesus' path leads to eternal life. Choose the privilege of friendship with Jesus. <clears throat> Grow deeper in him. Where are you in these three areas today? Is there one where you're lacking, where you have open doors? Or are you on the right path in each of these three areas? Think about it today. Evaluate it today. But don't leave this room before you shore up every area of your life that leads to holiness. Pastor Marvin. Praise God. How many of you got a word out of that this morning? I want you to notice something. Someone said, well, Pastor, why would you, would you just, what do you see when you see John? I want to ask you, what do you see when you look at Jesus? What he said today, he doesn't, he doesn't focus. I promise you, when we talk every week, we don't sit and talk about what's going on in the chair. We talk about what the Lord is doing. I think we spend so much time looking at the world yeah. as the church. Today, the call is to keep your eyes on Jesus. Can I tell you, the Lord called you to be holy as he is holy. And I love what John said this morning, the cross before me. You see, if you always have your eye on the devil, that's all you're paying attention to. Keep your eye on Jesus. Yeah. I love this morning. Can I tell you, John, I'm so proud of you. I love that. I love how you just worked right through whatever the devil was trying to do. He picked up just preaching the same message when the enemy struck him. How many of you understand, no matter what the enemy has for you, you keep going after you? When I look at John, I see a warrior. How many of you believe the devil got a black eye today? Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise. Father God, this morning... We thank you for a man of God, in the world's eyes limited, but in the spirit a mighty warrior for Christ. And Lord, that reminds us in our weakness, then we're strong, just like you told Paul. I thank you for the strength that we've seen here today. And Father, we commit as a church to not look at things of the world. We keep our eyes on Jesus, the author, finisher of our faith. Father, we pray in Jesus' name and we commit as a church to be a people of holiness. Lord, a message that's not popular in the world today, 
we believe, we, we see it in the world, a constant mixing of the world and our walk with you. And Father, you've called us to come out from among them and be separate. We are in the world, but not of the world. And Father, we commit to being a people that are different. Not weird, but different. Filled with the power and anointed the Holy Spirit. Would you stretch your hands this way? Lord, I thank you for this word. God, I thank you for this message that is vital in this day and age. And Lord, it is a battle call, a battle cry to the body of Christ to be more like Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning, and we, we just cover John. In many ways, John is on staff at this church. He does so much through the computers and through the way we talk and the way messages are developed. Father, I thank you that this man of God is having an impact in the world. And Father, we thank you for this book that's been written. And Lord, we're praying that this message will get out into the body of Christ in ways that will just blow us away. In this day and age where we see compromise at every turn, again, in this time of our season of life, we are seeing more ministers, just like in the 80s, being called to account because of their lack of holiness. And God, if that's in those that are leading, it's definitely among the body. Forgive us, Lord. Today we repent of every sin, any pool of the world. We say, Lord, remove it from us. We submit to you. And instead of looking at the desires of our flesh, we ask you to give us the desires of your heart, a longing and a taste for the pure. Father, we thank you for the message that's come from this man of God. And, and God, we still aren't giving up on the fact that you're the healer. As a matter of fact, the next book he's getting ready to write is on healing. And Father, I thank you that John is the healed of the Lord. God, we're declaring a day when he'll get out of this chair, when he'll be able to breathe on his own, Father God. And, and we're asking God that it'll happen here. God, we pray that it'll be a time in this place where we'll get to watch it just as when he entered in this church and was on the back of my motorcycle, walking in and out of these doors before he pastored his own church. We pray that we'd have the privilege to see that happen again. Now, Lord, we bless him. We bless Carl, his father. We bless his mom, Bev. Thank you, Lord, for men and women of God that stand by the man of God and help him to be able to preach. Father, open doors for John over these next coming months that this message will impact the body of Christ in powerful ways. And we'll thank you for doing it in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said a good amen. If you've been blessed this morning, would you give a shout to the Lord? Hallelujah.